Across the planet, you are once again caught in the Jaws obsession, where we are here to share with you, prove to you, convince you, or remind you that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. And here we are, episode 19, The Fate of the Orca. This is the calm before the storm, the eve of episode 20. We're right on the doorstep. There's an electricity in the air, and I can I can feel it even recording this right now. Why am I kind of nervous? I sort of am. Before we get into episode 19 and discuss the fate of the Orca, uh, we have some announcements, so let's, uh, let's get this out of the way here. We are now on uh, two more platforms. Welcome to Pandora and Pandora listeners. It's been five months, but we finally got approval, and we are now on the Pandora platform. We are also now on the new Samsung podcast platform. Samsung has created a podcast database. So if you are listening via Samsung or Pandora, we welcome you to the Jaws Obsession. And you arrived just in time because it's going to get very exciting here. I wanted to remind everybody to make sure you subscribe over to our YouTube channel. You can go to Jaws OB at YouTube. You can search with Jaws Obsession or Jaws OB, but we are on YouTube. The episodes are also archived on YouTube. However, going forward, especially for episode 20 and beyond, we will be utilizing video from time to time. So as we get into this episode with the fate of the Orca, what we start out with is we start out with a series of photos that was donated to us uh, via John Tedder and Quince Sharkinchak over at Etsy.com. These photos show us the state of the orca as it was in its final days at Universal Studios in California. 
as we get into this episode, if everyone goes to our Telegram channel and you'll look at the show notes, you're going to see a series of photos and you'll see just exactly what we are talking about, the visual description of what became of the orca after the filming of Jaws. Before we go on, we're going to bring in our resident orca expert, John Tedder, onto the show today to discuss the details surrounding the fate of the orca. But before we get in there, what we should... What we have to do is we have to dedicate this episode to one individual who was a stagehand on Jaws. It was this one man that was able to actually extend the life of the orca because without him, I don't believe we would have had the enjoyment of the orca for the years that we did. And he should be highlighted for that reason. This man's name was Alan Aquino. Alan Aquino was a stagehand on Jaws. He was born on August 11th, 1940, and he passed away May May 9th in 2021, almost a year ago. So I'm going to read from his obituary here, a segment from his obituary. Alan lived a wild and woolly life. As children, he led us on daily adventures. As an adult, he went on to a notable career in the motion picture industry. His extraordinary abilities as a creator of special effects can be seen in many iconic films, including Jaws, Chucky, Christmas Vacation, and many more. His whole life played out like a movie. He was involved in so many extraordinary experiences from admirable, impressive, fascinating to incredulous and alarming. I could fill many pages with Alan's stories. So if everybody takes a moment to remember that there are so many people that had a hand in not just the making of Jaws, but the life of Jaws after it wrapped. And Alan is an important figure in the story, and you're going to actually find out as John is going to describe for us. With Alan... The story of what happened after Jaws, the story of the orca, starts with him. I will include a link for the obituary for Mr. Aquino, as well as some photos of what he, how he, how the orca looked when he acquired it and when they refurbished it. So that will be available for everybody listening to this episode over on the show notes. Okay, and to detail the fate of the orca, of course, we're going to bring back our resident orca specialist on the Jaws Obsession here, John Tedder. John, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good, buddy. All right. It's good to have you back, and this is a very important episode. I was just detailing how we're going to springboard into episode 20, but we have to put the details out about the fate of the orca, and it's all going to make sense afterwards. So what I want to do is bring you in, and we're going to just detail about the history of the orca, which is well-documented, uh, with its conception, the design, construction, and the use in the movie Jaws. But what isn't discussed in the open is what happened to the orca after filming. Let's say we're at the end of filming, the production wrapped. Who was Alan Aquino, and how did he enter the timeline for the orca at this point of the wrapping of the production of Jaws? Alan was a stagehand by trade, so he was all over the jaw set and did various things. When filming wrapped, he and his friend Jerry bought the orca together. During filming, the orca actually suffered damage. It, it did. Uh, it almost sank one time, right. and th- various other things happened. So they had to, well, number one, the boat was left out of the water for over a month. And this and, was this back in Los Angeles? Yes. Okay. It was left out of the water for, over, for about a month or a little over, which caused her planks, her whole planks, to shrink badly. And according to Alan, it left up to one-inch gaps between the planks. One inch, wow. And, yeah, because, you know, when a wood boat, the hole's wet, and it causes wood to expand with water. 
Okay. And that's how it keeps everything watertight. When it had been out of the water for so long, you could see the gaps between it and the cordon island. They were one inch. Wow. So what they had to do, they sanded it down to bare wood, took all the paint off, and they had to hit it with a constant spray of water to get the planks to swell up again. Mm-hmm. And later they actually filled her up with water on the inside of the hole to actually swell it, swell the planking even more, making her watertight, and then just pumped it out. And they actually did the restoration on the Gilligan's Island set on the Universal Backlot is actually where they did it at. No kidding. So they did this before he acquired the Orca, or did he acquire the Orca and then was able to uh, use this on the Backlot? He, him and Jerry acquired the Orca and then were able to do it on the Backlot. Right. Okay. So here you have, you have Alan and Jerry, they both pretty much went in and rescued the Orca. Alan was one of the few people to see Jaws as the classic movie before it was released. So he was a man with profound foresight, and he tried to preserve the Orca. Now, he preserved it, so he got it back to being watertight, and he took it. Where did he, did he launch it? Yeah, he did. Uh, He cruised up and down California with it off of Catalina Island. I think he even did some actual spearfishing for marlin and everything, because there's pictures that he took. While he had owned it, and you say on the pulpit, he actually had like a, a harpooning for a marlin to go on. He had some of the barrels and everything that was on the orca in the film was there pretty much. And what years, what are we, what time frame are we looking at here? Do you know the year? Uh, we're looking at 74 through 75 because I believe the backlot tour for the Jaws part was in 76. He's out there sailing the orca around when Jaws premieres at the movie theater. What was the response by Universal Studios once they realized Jaws was a blockbuster? I do know that after Jaws became a very big hit, after all, it was the very first summer blockbuster. They immediately did want to capitalize on it, so they did a backlot tour uh, and for Jaws, and they bought the Orca back from Jerry and Alan. And mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, Alan and Jerry actually bought the Orca for, I think, $4,000. I think Universal paid them seventeen or eighteen thousand dollars to buy it back. Universal brought bought it back. The Orca was towed back to the Long Beach Marina. Okay, is where after Universal bought it back. From there, it was put on the back lot. And you know, a lot of people think that the Orca was floating in the water. She wasn't floating. She was actually sitting in a cradle. The water was just enough to make it look like she was floating, which the cradle ended up being uh, a big catalyst to uh, part of her demise. Who would have had the idea of a cradle? I'm just curious. You know, the pond was deep enough she could have floated. I mean, the Orca's draft wasn't extreme. And I mean, if you look at pictures of the cradle, the height of the cradle and the bottom of the pond, there's there's enough room that she would have floated. Why do you think they used the cradle? I think they didn't want to deal with having to keep it tied up and, you know, worry about it drifting off or yep. in the in the event that it did in fact sink, it would stay on the cradle and they could then lift it up. But... Right. We have now, we have from 1976, the Jaws backlot ride starts where the, 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 the trolley car goes by and all the tourists can see the shark come up out of the water. And in the background, they had the orca, they bought the orca from Allen for a paltry $17,000, and they just had it sitting there in a cradle. The, there was TV shows were filmed inside Universal Studios. We had episodes of Columbo and you know, The Incredible Hulk. Those were, so you could actually see the orca in the background during, the, during this time. We're going to be 76 to the 90s, so we're going to say it's about, we're, we're going we're gonna to deal with about 15 years 
that this orca is sitting there, sitting in fresh water. There are benefits that a wooden vessel would have if it were to be in salt water. What effect would it have for the preservation of the orca had the orca just stayed with Alan and stayed in salt water? Well, number one, first and foremost, she would have had yearly maintenance. Wood boats, they have to be maintained. They have to be taken out of the water at least twice a year, sometimes more, depending on the condition of the hull, to scrape stuff off, you know, and do maintenance and what have you. Wood boats always need maintenance. Right. They always do. So salt water is better for a wood boat. The reason for that being is because, number one, salt is a preservative, number one. Wood boats tend to lock salt water better because of everything that is in salt water, whereas in fresh water, you have a different kind of bacteria. You have all these different... Algae? Well, you have algae, things like that, bacteria that will yep. completely kill a wood boat. Saying that, that salt water is better for a wood boat does not mean that a wood boat is completely safe in salt water. Diligent boat owners and captains will dry dock their vessel and they have a good cleaning. Is that what they do? Yes, you know they'll have a good cleaning and people that build their own boats or people that buy a wood boat they will have two different bottom colors put on a boat. Mm-hmm. The very bottom layer, which you do not see, will say be blue. And the outside color will be black. So when you start seeing blue through the black paint, that's when you know, hey, it's time. Got to haul her out of the water, repaint the hole. I have to remind everybody that if you go to Orca Rebuild on at YouTube, this is John's project here. He He's rebuilding one-to-one scale Orca replica. And what he's doing is that he's bringing you along to this process. And uh, I've learned a lot, even what John's talking about now, from these videos. So he has a lot of experience in how to preserve the Orca. And John, if I'm not mistaken, you you had a lot of details from Alan, and you learned a lot from him before he passed away, correct? So I never really got to talk to Alan. I never really did. Um, Mm -hmm. Jesse talked to him a lot. Jesse's relayed everything to me through from Alan to me that Alan and he had talked about. To be very specific, Jesse, the one that I'm talking about is Jesse Thompson. He's the guy that makes the beautiful Orca models that you see pop up for sale on eBay and they go for thousands of dollars. Yeah, those are wonderful. Those are pretty amazing. Jesse did work on boats. Though. Oh, he worked that, on that okay. is what Je- Yeah, he worked on boats. That's how Jesse knows everything that he knows. But he had become friends with Alan. Right. Uh, okay. several years ago. Let's go back to let's go back. The Orca is for over 15 years it's sitting in a freshwater pond in a cradle. Everything that saltwater does can be negated by doing regular maintenance, pulling the boat out of the water and just doing regular maintenance on it. However, Universal's utter neglect of the orca, where they left it in a cradle sitting in freshwater. Now, what is the effect of that, if you could please explain? Freshwater, like you and I briefly discussed a minute ago, it has different types of algae, bacteria, uh, microorganisms that live in the water that feed off of wood. I mean, you can look at your local swamp and see trees that have that exact same effect. One thing to note is the Orca was, even though it was a Nova Scotia design, Nova Scotia boats were typically made out of very green type wood. The Orca was not. The Orca was made out of white oak, Mm -hmm. which which is a very, very strong building material for a boat. The freshwater pond that she sat in, if they would have done yearly maintenance she'd still be afloat today now the fresh water when it gets in a boat it rots the boat out it just does 
uh, you know, we just discussed that salt water do the exact same thing because of electrolysis, and electrolysis damages the wood around the fastener. Right. What it boiled down to was just pure and utter neglect. There's no way around that. They didn't do anything to her. She sat in the cradle, and the bow, the, the cradle, and we need to we needed to say this, the, the cradle did not extend the full length of the boat either. Right. It did her bow was well over the end of the cradle and the bow of a boat carries a lot of weight to right. begin with. And when she filled with water, she began, the keel began to hog, which is where it begins to bend. And it just dipped down and dipped down and dipped down. And when they tried to lift her out of the water, the morons doing it, they didn't think, Hey, we should pump her out. Right. And when they tried to lift her up with a crane, she just, she broke. So you have the, the weight distribution of the Orca was not even like it was designed to be in water. It was on a sling. And you actually see in the photos that you've provided, which we're going to have on our show notes, you actually see as the Orca aged over this 15, 16 years inside the pond, it actually, the bow is dipping down it's looking very decrepit. It's very weak. What you're saying is that eventually wood is going to get so weak, it's going to, when they tried to lift it up, it just, it broke at the keel. Right. And because the wood got very, very soft. And you got to realize too, the time that she was in the pond, they may have done maintenance for the first, say, two or three years. Right. They may have, but over time they stop doing it, which Universal has a very bad history of doing. I mean, you don't have to look back to to the Orca necessarily to see that. You can look at the, the Jurassic Park vehicles that, that are on display. But mm-hmm. Those are in very bad condition. That's why the Jungle Explorers, the windows were tinted very, very dark because the inside was falling apart. One of the DeLoreans was completely destroyed, I believe. Don't hold me to that, but I believe one of the DeLoreans was completely destroyed because of a similar situation. It, they, they have a very, a, not a good track record of keep taking care of things. Ben Gardner's boat was on the uh, back lot tour forever, and they, they scrapped it, threw it in a dumpster. There's pictures of that. And it's absolutely heartbreaking to see these photos and to see this, this, this classic piece which is the orca which is the set of where this iconic movie was filmed and you see the the wood decayed you see the sagging uh, bow and you're seeing the thing just rot there and people just rode by on a tourist run it's kind of how universal always saw jaws was it was just a big monster movie moneymaker it really was not the classic that we all grew up loving this greatest movie of all time. One person that did see how special the Orca was, was Mr. Steven Spielberg. And it was well-documented throughout the 80s. And even into 1990, 1991, that Steven Spielberg, he had an office at Universal and he was seen down at the Orca thinking and working out things. He would go down there to visit. Do you think this boat was as important to him as it was the legions of fans who grew up watching it on the big screen and on VHS? I do, and I think, you know, he would, in interviews, he said, you know, he'd go down there to the Orca. Like you said, you know, he'd work on things. He'd think about things. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd sit there inside the cabin where Quint tells the Indianapolis speech. He'd sit there, and I really think that he would just kind of relive not the bad parts of making Jaws, mm-hmm. that, that were the nightmares, but all the good things. Because all the good things for 
Spielberg, and he said this himself, happened on the Orca. So it, it was very cathartic for him to go there and, you know, work on scripts or, you know, ideas that he had while there. Recentering himself, getting back into that young, hungry director, which where he was put in a very stressful situation and had to be creative to actually make a movie work. The, he, the Orca was a s symbolic of that part of his life. And that's why he was seen there. I think it also reminded him where he came from in regards to movie making. Jaws is what made Spielberg a household name. And I think the Orca reminded him of that. So I think it was kind of a, his home away from home. Okay, so let's stay on Spielberg here because we're now in the early 90s. The Orca is looking really rough. Everyone go to the show notes. You can see the photos of it. What were the final steps that Universal took that sealed the fate of the Orca? And how was Steven Spielberg not able to save this piece of his history? Spielberg had done an interview with 60 Minutes in early 1992. So he knew the condition of the boat. Uh, and it was on from the, he did the interview from the Orca, right? Correct. He did it there at the, there on the stern. Yes. Right. Well, the, the aft deck uh, next to the ladder to be more specific. So he knew about the condition. But you also got to remember, it was at this time when his career really took off. He was doing Close Encounters of the Third third Kind. He was doing... Oh, World, yeah, the World Indiana Zone Jones, movie. right? Yeah, he was doing Indiana Jones and several other movies. And so his time was really taken up during that time. Right. So he knew the condition of the Orca. And I don't think that he was just going to leave her there like that. What finally sealed the fate of the Orca was... In somewhere between June and August would be my guess. June and August, maybe late May, maybe late May to August is when they tried to take the Orca out of the water with a crane. They would have had to have taken her out with a crane. Of, of 1992? Two, yes, 92. Because she was gone in 93. Right. Okay, so we know, yeah, we definitely know that orc, the orca was gone in 93. So we're talking between June and July of 1992. They tried to lift her out of the water. Obviously, it had slings on it with a crane. Mm -hmm. But they didn't drain the water out. So oh. all that weight in the bow with, where it was flooded, the compartment was flooded. Right. The weight and the, the wood being soft and just the poor condition. I mean, the, she was falling apart at the seams, literally. You can see that. They tried to lift her up out of the water, and she just split, you know, her back broke. The orca snapped, broke, and then they pulled her up, and they just basically said, well, that's it for this boat, and what did they do next? They cut her up, and they, they took her to the dump. That was all she wrote. Spielberg, at the time, he would have not been at Universal, because in 1992 is when he was filming Jurassic Park. Principal photography for Jurassic Park took place in August, August 12th, if I remember right, maybe August 20th. But the visitor center for Jurassic Park would have already been built in June and July. Spielberg would have already been in Hawaii by the point they did this. So he had no idea oh, that the Orca was even gone, which is why he said in an interview, and I believe it was the Shark is Still Working interview that he said this, that, you know, he decided he was going to go visit the Orca one day, and he goes down there, and the boat was gone. Wow. So he calls up the, the head of the back lot, and he wanted want to know where the, where's the Orca. And when they when the head of the back lot told Spielberg what happened, I can't verify this, but this is the story that everybody kind of knows is that Spielberg hit the roof. Uh, and, you know, why wouldn't he hit the roof about it, you know? Well, that's, uh, yeah, they, they took a part of his legacy, and they just, they just... Uh, 
and imagine getting that that phone call and you're oh, i'd hate you know. to be the guy to tell them say you know hey yeah. spielberg on line one you know <laughs> yeah and wants to know where the orc is and you just you just uh, ordered the dozer to come in and scrap it up and put it in a dumpster. It just goes to show you that Universal didn't even have the best intentions in regards to their number one director at the time, let alone the Jaws franchise or the Jaws movie. The Universal's negligence affected the fate of the Orca here. They didn't do the proper maintenance and it, they let it rot away. And then when it was all said and done, it wasn't a restoration project. They just said, go ahead and get rid of it. They didn't even consult with their number one director. And he was away filming Jurassic Park. This is where it gets really tricky. This negligence by Universal Studios, what effect did that have on the fan base of Jaws in the 90s to present day and how everybody looks at the Jaws franchise it's a, a really good question actually the way the jaws fan base looked at that a lot of people didn't really know what happened to the orc at the time they just knew it was gone it wouldn't come out until years later exactly what happened along what year that people finally found out oh hey they scrapped it don't really know probably would have found out maybe a year year or two later mm -hmm. because i mean a lot of people that had been on the backlot tour, they probably thought, oh, they just took it out for maintenance. They're just going to be back, you know, but it never came back. Right. So the effect that had on the fan base was you let this very iconic vessel, this very iconic icon just fall apart. Right. You know, it, it's the equivalent of the bullet Mustang from, you know, bullet with Steve McQueen. Right. You, you know, they, they recently found it a few years ago, rusting away. In Nevada, of course, they completely restored it. Sure. But it's the same principle. You know, these things are looked at, the best way to describe it is disposable, which is unfortunately what became of the Jaws franchise. It became disposable after Jaws 2. Jaws 3, in my opinion, yep. some people don't probably don't, are going to say, you know, I'm, I'm cuckoo for this, but I actually like Jaws 3. It has a very soft place in my heart. Sure. Jaws 4 was really the, the nail in the coffin for the franchise because Universal just did not take that film serious. Jaws became a very mediocre, laughable kind of thing. I mean, you the you have the Jaws theme used in Family Guy for comedic effect. You, right, right. Any kind of thing. You know, they, they use Jaws as now as, you know. Yeah, it was turned a into a mockery. Now. It was turned into a pop culture mockery. That led into just not taking the story of Jaws seriously. And then when you have a fan base that sees just their these the 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 set pieces just literally tossed into the garbage, what you had was you had a fragmentation of collectors and uh, multiple collectors and people that felt it was their task to be the curator of the Jaws legacy. So then you have clicks and adversarial relationships between fans and things got, there was a disconnect there between even the studio and the fans because the studio uh, it says, well, we're done with this m franchise because it's a running joke. And the fans now are left kind of, as like it's their responsibility to pass the legacy on. What's sad is that when you have a ship with no captain, the ship it can't really go anywhere because all the different departments can't communicate. Universal went and bought the Orca back from a gentleman, Alan Aquino, who actually purchased it, and he was going to take care of it. He saw how special the vessel was. 
So Universal says, hey, we're going to buy that back from you because we have this huge blockbuster and we want people to enjoy that and see it. Universal kind of said, we will take care of that and we will get, and then what they did was they just made a kind of a, it just made it a prop piece for a tourist trap ride, just like the franchise. I do believe originally that they started out with good intentions with putting it on the back lot. I, I do believe that they did. I do believe that they did have a plan to actually take care of it. Maybe somebody may put a memo on a desk and say, hey, we need to get authorization to do this. Mm-hmm. And it may have come down to budgeting about, you know, well, this over here needs more attention than this. You know, but there's, there's multiple reasons as to why it could have been done. But right. I do believe they started out with good intentions and it just, it was something that just fell to the wayside, kind of out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. So here we are, we're on episode 19. And now I'm going to ask your opinion here. With what's going on, which what we're going to announce, you have a big hand in that. So with what we're going to announce with episode 20 of the Jaws Obsession. In your opinion, will Universal Studios have a shot at redemption here and be able to fix the Jaws legacy for the next 50 years and for future generations of fans of Jaws? A couple things on that. I believe that they do have a chance at redemption. You and I both know what's going on without giving anything away. I believe that if they're smart, which I mean, they're smart people at Universal. They're all. Absolutely. If they're smart, I don't see how they wouldn't jump on this. You and I have talked about it in private discussions, and I'm not going to say what that was here, but there's one thing in particular that you and I have talked about that mm-hmm. I just can't see Spielberg passing up the opportunity to do, considering what he's doing right at this given moment with Tom Hanks at the moment. When you first told me about it, about what you were doing with the Jaws obsession, I can get behind this. Right. And you were able to sell me on it. I really think that this is going to be the thing, we'll we'll call it that, the thing that Jaws fans, whether you just like the first movie or whether you like all the movies, all four of them. Right. I I really think it's going to be something that even the most diehard Jaws fans are going to be able to rally behind. I I really do. I, I think it is because it's just, it's cohesive. That's the that's right. That's one of the words that comes to mind. It, it's cohesive, but not only is it cohesive, it's full circle. It's full circle for a lot of layers. And we yeah, we can't give anything away. But yeah, you're right. It's a, a lot of layers. It's a full circle for many different layers, and that's why it will be full circle for Universal to come back around and actually be able to establish Jaws as the greatest movie of all time, but also for the fiftieth anniversary. We're talking 50 years ago, Universal, that you have a chance now to put this movie and push it out to a whole new generation of fans. And therein lies the redemption arc of Universal Studios. Even though Universal is culpable in the fate of the Orca, even though Universal played a big role in the fate of the Orca, there's also a rebirth that Universal can play a role in here. They absolutely can. As the saying goes, you know, hold them to the carpet about it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're responsible for not only what happened to the Orca, but to the st- current state of the Jaws franchise. There's no two ways around that. They are. Mm-hmm. You know, Spielberg made the movie. Mm-hmm. He made it a success. Universal, they have a chance to absolutely, you know, not only redeem themselves, but the legacy of Jaws. And the quote John Hammond from Jurassic Park, The Lost World, you know, this is our, this is our chance at redemption. Exactly. 
Exactly. Universal Studios, listen up. And they can do it. They can absolutely 100% do it. They just have to take the initiative to do it. And that's why we are here. That's why we are on the eve of episode 20 as Jaws fans united, because we are going to be the catalyst to get Universal in motion. Universal, y'all have a chance to make a lot of money. It's being laid in front of you, and all you have to do is pick it up. That's what's so exciting about this. That's why we actually placed this Fate of the Orca. When you showed me the pictures of what happened, and everybody out there now that's listening can see those pictures, the fire even rose higher inside myself. And I said, we have to put this on the eve of episode 20. There is a light at the end of the tunnel here for Jaws fans and for Universal. So, John, I want to thank you so much for coming on board the Jaws Obsession one more time for a great interview, but also to give details about the fate of the Orca. Thank you so much. You're welcome, buddy. Anytime. All right. And we're going to see you after episode 20. It's going to be a whole new world, right? Correct. It's exciting. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. All right. So we have to have a special thanks to John Tedder there for coming on the show. So there are two ways that you can deal with the fate of the orca in the current state of Jaws. We found Steven Spielberg's full take regarding the fate of the orca. And I've isolated it for you out of the documentary called The Shark is Still Working. And I'm going to play that for you now. And whatever happened to the ultimate Jaws prop? Quint's trusty fishing boat, the orca which served as a floating set for nearly four months of shooting at sea. Well, I had a good souvenir. I had the Orca for a while. I had the Orca shipped back to Universal Studios. We put it on the tour in the back lot. And every once in a while, I go up my little electric cart and I visit the Orca by myself, look around, make sure no tourists around, nobody could see me. And I would just sit uh, inside the pilot house where I would sit in one of the cabins, where I'd walk down those few steps to where all the life jackets were just hanging, dripping when the boat began to sink. And I would just kind of reminisce and kind of give thanks that that movie sort of launched my career. But I would go there alone and spend time on it and didn't tell anybody. Then one day I went for one of my, about six months later, I went for another journey back in time, down memory lane, the boat was gone. And I called up the head, head of the back lot and I said, what happened to the Orca? He said, well, it was just rotting there. So we just, we, we, we took an ax and, and took a couple of chainsaws and we cut it up for timber and we, we, we shipped it out. And I went nuts. I went nuts. I, I feel very bad about all the things I said to that poor man who took my phone call. But I was just beside myself that they had destroyed this. This piece of wood, originally called the Warlock, by the way. It was a real boat called the Warlock. And we painted that over. That's a weird omen. And called it the Orca. And the fact that the boat was no longer in existence, it had died, you know. And it was just the strangest feel, feeling for me. But in a way, it was good for me because it cut the umbilical cord that was joining me to some of my worst memories about filming that, that movie. And it kind of freed me when they broke the boat into many pieces. But I did recover both twin screws. I got the propeller blades back, and I got the, uh, I got the pilot wheel. So as I said, there are two ways that you can deal with the fate of the orca. What we just heard is that uh, Mr. Spielberg, he has to be a politician. You know, he make, we see him making lemonade out of lemons. And moving on, uh, he talks about severing, severing the umbilical cord, but he still kept pieces of the orca. So he still had an attachment and he couldn't say goodbye fully because there was an attachment that he had to this project and to this movie called Jaws. 
But he has to be a politician, and I understand that. As fans here at the Jaws Obsession, we aren't politicians. So we're allowed to get upset, and we're allowed to get a little bit angry. And as long as we use that emotion for motivation, as long as we are not reactive, but we are proactive, we can actually use the fate of the orca to inspire us to do great things. So let's close out on a little Jaws mental exercise. Okay, everybody please just bear with me here. So now we know the story. You've seen the photos. You know the fate of the orca. Everybody listening right now, you don't even have to be a Jaws fan per se. You just have to be someone who has collected something in your life. Maybe as a kid you collected cards, movie posters, books. Maybe you even visited a museum of history and you appreciated an artifact that was held by hands from centuries ago and those people are long passed away. Right now, everybody, just think about that part of your humanity that cherishes things from the past, okay? Now, everybody, just imagine the chainsaws cutting up the wooden hull of the orca, the pulpit that Robert Shaw stood upon, split into pieces with axes, the wood of the stern that Richard Dreyfus sat on with his styrofoam cup being chopped up, the table where Robert Shaw did his U.S. Indianapolis speech, the same table that Steven Spielberg sat and planned the next angles out, that being picked up by a bulldozer and thrown into a dumpster. I want everybody to watch that get destroyed. Watch the entire hull get destroyed by the saws and loaded into the dumpster and just thrown out with yesterday's garbage. How does that make you feel? Now hold on to that. Let that become your center. That feeling that you're feeling right now, let that become your center. So when you approach episode 20, the very next episode of the Jaws Obsession, you will realize, and we're all going to realize, that this is a time for action. Show me the way to go home. I'm tired, I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago, and it's gotten right to my head. Wherever I may roam, by land or sea or home. And that includes episode 19 of the Jaws Obsession. I'm ready to get to it. I'm ready for episode 20. How about you? The movie Jaws is copyrighted property of Universal Studios. Any references and sampling from the movie Jaws in this episode is intended to fall within section 107 of the Copyright Act. Copyrighted materials are fairly used for the purposes of criticism, comment, reporting, teaching, and research. The materials used here are protected by fair use guidelines of Section 107 of the Copyright Act, all rights reserved to the copyright owners. So there we have it, folks. That's episode 19. We're, we are probably going to be releasing episode 20. Uh, the first weekend of May. But please stay in touch with JawsOB.com. Go to the notes section of the website and we'll give uh, exact dates and times of when that's going to happen. Please write to us. Let us know what you think about this episode and all the other episodes. JawsOB2025 at gmail.com. We always like to hear from you. We've gotten great, great comments so far and all the excitement. We're feeling it here. Special thanks to John Tedder of Quint's Shark and Shack 
at Etsy.com. Also, Alan Aquino, rest in peace. His contributions mattered so much to this episode. Again, thank you for listening. Until next week, farewell and adieu, and show me the way to go home.